0: So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and
1: welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we're going to continue in our current series, Important Prophecy Terms Compared and Contrasted. And specifically in today's program, we're going to pick up where we left off in our last program, and that's in point number two of our worksheet, Uh, that is prepared for this series. And of course, you can get a copy of this by going to the website here at whcbradio.org. And in point number two, we're comparing and contrasting two terms, two prophetic terms, the day of Christ and the day of the Lord. The day of Christ and the day of the Lord. And we're focusing uh, currently in uh, a set of scriptures from the New Testament dealing with what is the day of Christ and how does it compare or contrast with the term the day of the Lord? Of course, if you are like many people, you just read through the Bible, maybe one year in the Bible or something like that, and you read these terms, you see the word Lord, you see the word Christ, and you see day and you, you think, okay, just move on, it's the same thing. When in reality, and I, I pray that you'll see as we go through the scriptures that there is a dramatic difference between these two just as there is a dramatic difference in point number one, as you see on your worksheet, the Son of God as compared to the Son of Man, re- uh, referencing, of course, Jesus Christ. It's in caps. In fact, it's interesting, and we I think I brought this up in our last program, is as you go down these prophetic terms, you can see the two sides of God. You can see the two sides of Jesus Christ. You can see the righteous side of the side that rewards, the side that blesses, the side that is full of grace. And then you can see the other side, which is just as important and is necessary, is the justice side, the judgment side. And it's the side that will bring punishment for those who uh, hate God. And it says in many places that there are those who hate God, and it says that God hates them, the doers of iniquity and so forth. Those that have chosen in their minds and frankly in their hearts to go against God, to to deny, to refuse the wonderful gift of grace and salvation that comes through His Son, Jesus Christ. So you see these contrasting terms that if you don't know what they are and what they represent and what their scriptural background is, you read right over them and you move on and you miss some very important points of understanding, foundational uh, framework-building points of understanding that, as I've mentioned several times now, as we get ready in preparation, which which what we're doing now with these seven sets of terms, as we get uh, ready to go into our uh, overview of the 30 prophetic events that, as I read the scriptures, the 30 prophetic events that are getting ready to start Uh, basically we want to start with now, even though there's no prophetic event right now. Uh, and right now with the events of the world that are going on in the past year, (laughs) there are many of those that say we are in the middle of some prophetic events. But, um, I think you'll see as we go through the scriptures that that's not true. However, I believe that the first prophetic event, even though it's signless is coming up quickly and we'll go through those 30 events uh, in the chronological order that I find them. Uh, you can uh, differ with that. I don't think that it's critical. Uh, the difference is there in most cases. Um, but uh, I just want to make you aware of what those 30 events are as it takes us from basically today through the end of the Bible, the end of the book of Revelation, which takes us into eternity. So we're looking at the day of Christ here and As we've started this, I believe we started this two programs ago as we got into the book of Philippians, and you have to appreciate, Paul is the author of Philippians, and Paul is writing a letter back to the church at Philippi that he had visited some, I don't know, 10 years before, and uh, they had sent money to him in prison, they had sent an emissary, a representative from Philippi to him, so he's writing this letter back, but the point is he's in prison, yet he is praising God. He's praising God for his grace, for his gift of salvation. And you see this because this is all going to come to fruition for a believer, a believer in Jesus Christ at what's called the rapture and immediately following that, the Bema Seat Judgment. We're talking about the day of Christ. And one of the key um, attributes, if you will, of these scriptures, you know, we've been through, as you see on your worksheet, Philippians 1.6, Philippians 1.10, and we finished um, last week with, uh, ph- our last program, I should say, with Philippians 2.16 and then uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 7 and 8. And we'll go back real quickly and review a couple of those just to set us back on on, on uh, the right path. That they're very positive. They're very positive as opposed to what you're going to see and read when we get to the day of the Lord, just as you saw the scriptures in point number 1 with the son of god were all very positive very uplifting very rewarding and then when we move to the son of man it became dark it became judgment so those are the two sides of jesus that you see here and now we see the two different days when the son of man is going to act in the day of christ and the son of excuse me the son of god is going to act in the day of christ and the Son of Man is going to act in the day of the Lord. So I pray that you can see this pattern as we're working through this worksheet, working through these seven sets of uh, prophetic terms. You can see how important they are that uh, you may think, well, you know, maybe saying to yourself, I know this, this is fine. Well, this will be a good review for you, I hope. But I think for a lot of you, this is maybe one of the first times you've heard of this differentiation. And it's important that you not just hear about it from somebody like me or anyone else, but that you see it for yourself from the scripture and that the scripture is taken in context. That's why we look at so many scriptures. And uh, I pray that you haven't um, gotten uh, upset with me or bored with the idea that, hey, why are we going through so many scriptures? Just give me a a five-minute overview and let's move on. Well, I don't believe that's what God's intention is here. He has given us 66 books and he's given us all of this wonderful information and he's done it so that we can know that we know that we know the truth that God wants us to know through the leading of the Holy Spirit. So that's why we look at so many scriptures uh, relative to these different terms. And you can see, uh, just for instance, in looking at your worksheet, that the day of Christ, there aren't as many scriptures as there are for the day of the Lord. And I'll tell you right now, uh, I actually have a teaching series, a multi-program teaching series that we could use uh, sometime, particularly if you're interested, just on the day of the Lord, because there is so much throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament about the day of the Lord, because it's going to be a big day of judgment Uh, When I say day, it's a short period of time of judgment at the end of the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel. And then it uh, goes on and talks in the day of the Lord continues in the setting up of the kingdom and the millennial kingdom and ending with the great white throne judgment. So again, uh, somewhat of an overview here to, to again set the stage as we go into these last scriptures here. Uh, Probably finish up um, today, if not uh, in our next program on the day of Christ. But just to see how positive the verbiage is and how great the hope is, this confident expectation is that we're going to see the Lord face to face in our glorified bodies on the day of Christ. So let's go to the book of Philippians where we were in in our last program. And let's pick up with Philippians 2:16, just as a quick review here, to see another use of that term by the Apostle Paul as he's writing this letter to the Philippians, out of gratitude uh, while he's in prison in Rome. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 16, just jumping in here at verse 16, it says, "Holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, there's the term." the day of Christ, I, Paul, will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. And what he's talking about here, his running in vain, his toiling in vain would be if he had not done what he did, did not suffer what he suffered to take the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Philippians in this particular case, but as well, it's more of a general statement just as well. That he didn't run in vain, that he did not miss the opportunity, he did not lose the opportunity, he did not shirk the responsibility as a teacher to the Gentiles principally, but also to the Jews, a teacher um, by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, he says, I have reason to glory, that I am going to glory in that day, because when we're raptured up there together, we'll see each other. We will commune with each other. We will fellowship with each other. There's nothing r- really dramatically that's going to change. I guess you could say that as we get our uplift, as I've heard said, as we get our uplift, the, the rapture, which is going up into the clouds to heaven with the Lord, in, in that uplift, we get a facelift because we will be in a perfect glorified body. And whatever is wrong with you, will be instantaneously corrected into a glorified, perfect body. And we will glory with the Lord in His glory as He receives His bride to Him and goes through the judgment seat uh, there of Christ where He hands out rewards without any reference to sin, without any reference to Sin. sin. And we'll get to that particular verse that says that in just a moment. So we see the the glory aspect, the very positive aspect that you can get the sense through this whole thing about how uh, Paul is so thankful that the Philippians had received uh, the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ from him and that therefore he can glory as one who uh, brought that good word to them. And as we learn in the scripture, remember there's five crowns uh, that are mentioned in in the New Testament that Jesus will Hand out at the uh, bema seat of Christ, and one of those is for those who who bring the good news, and souls are saved through their bringing of the good news. So that's uh, that's one of the crowns that you can receive, and Paul is glorying in the fact that he'll be one of those that receives such a crown. All right, then we went to First Corinthians chapter one at the end of our last program, so let's. Let's quickly do that again just as a way of review. First Corinthians chapter 1, and remember Paul again is the author here, and he is kind of <laughs> like someone said one time, he's the pastor of First Corinth Church in Greece in the town of Corinth, and it was a very difficult church. All you have to do is read First Corinthians, and you can see how difficult that church was. But interestingly enough, as you see all the difficulties, and some of them are Quite extreme, such as uh, incest and and infidelity and so forth. He still says, as he wraps up the book of First Corinthians, he says, "We will all be either translated or raptured um, in in the um, our resurrection. Should say should be will either be translated alive or will be resurrected from the dead." He says, "All of that church." So it just goes to show you that this idea that only super-Christians are going in the rapture uh, is fallacious. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and let's look at verses 7 and 8, and Paul says, so that you, and he's referring to the church, not individuals, it's a plural term here, so that you are not lacking in any gift, so it's a corporate gift to the church through the Holy Spirit, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you can see the very positive, uh, almost excitable nature here, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there again, um, should be very clear to the casual reader here how very positive, how very uplifting this is. And by the way, uh, Paul tells Timothy at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4 that there's another one of those five crowns awaiting uh, those in the church who are eagerly awaiting the coming of the Lord for his bride. That's you, the bride. So we see all of that wrapped up in just these two short verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that you will be confirmed to the end blameless. And that's when we see the Lord. Um, at the rapture and the bema seat. So again, I want to share another positive uh, term here, another positive verse that describes this period called the bema seat judgment that immediately follows the day of Christ. Here, so if you could turn in your Bibles, um, you find uh, Thessalonians and you find First and Second Timothy, and then you get to Titus and the tiny tiny book of Philemon. You get into Hebrews. And I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9. You see this in your worksheet if you've downloaded it from the uh, website here at the radio station. And it says, um, let's start at verse 27 for context, the last two verses of Hebrews 9. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so every man will die, except those who are alive at the point of the rapture, and they'll be translated to heaven alive and be transformed in the air. Uh, But every man will be judged. And it says in verse 28, so Christ, also having been offered once to bear the sins for many. So he's talking to the church, those that have accepted his death, burial, and resurrection, and have through that acceptance uh, have been saved, uh, eternally saved. Those are the ones that he bore the sins for, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin. That's the one of those most important little phrases in the Bible, salvation without reference to sin. And who are these people? He makes it very clear. To those who eagerly await him those who eagerly await him so he's clearly talking about a very positive a very if you will exciting time in the life of a christian because this is when eternity begins and we're going to begin eternity in the in the blink of an eye as we receive our eternal glorified bodies that will never wear out never get sick and we will stand before the lord receive our judgment for what we did here on the earth, which will uh, end up in either rewards or perhaps no rewards. But the point is, uh, you will be with the Lord in heaven forever. And that is a glorious thing to look forward to. So let's let's, uh, conclude this look at the day of uh, Christ by going to 2 Timothy. So back to the left, back to the left in your Bible, past Philemon and Titus, We get to 2 Timothy, and we go to chapter 4, and I'd made reference to this before, and I wanted to finish up with this very positive note in this description. And it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and Paul is telling this to Timothy. This is the last thing he basically wrote before he was um, killed by the Romans uh, for his faith. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, In the future... There is laid up for me, Paul talking about himself, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So the day of Christ is the day that we should eagerly be looking forward to because it's going to be a day of glorious reunion with those who have believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior as we see him face to face. So I don't know about you, uh, but I can't imagine having this knowledge, not being so excited about what we have in store for us. And I fully believe that this is the next event, even though it's signless, it's the next event on God's prophetic calendar. So we will conclude the Day of Christ and our, our teaching portion of the program today here. And in our next program, we'll move over to the Day of the Lord. But now let's go back to our Q&A on the manifestation, the working of the Holy Spirit in the Tribulation period, which has been a uh, answering of a question that was asked by Rich in Indian Springs uh, so many programs ago and we've turned into a kind of a mini teaching series here on the uh, the functioning of the holy spirit because it's important to understand from the scripture and we've been over a lot of it those of you that have been with us for a while know the detail that we have gone into all through the old testament and now into the new testament to show that depending on when where you are Uh, In the scripture, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, to understand that the Holy Spirit functions differently. In the Old Testament, he would come on people that were righteous, but if they turned from their righteousness to being doers and practicers of iniquity, the Holy Spirit would leave them. And we went over a number of scriptures to specifically and in general terms to show that Then we see the changing of the functioning of the Holy Spirit uh, when the church was um, started at Pentecost, and we see that event happening in the early verses of Acts chapter 2, and at that point, the distinguishing feature of the church is the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You can sin as a Christian, but it is not a lifestyle, it is not a habit of your life if it's a habit of your life, then there's a very good chance you're not a Christian. You never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You were never indwelt by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit comes into a Christian permanently, and that Holy Spirit convicts, and as First John tells us, there is a um, one in heaven, and that's Jesus Christ himself who um, is there to convict. Um, here are pleas for forgiveness when we err uh, from God's ways and he is faithful and just and he says, I will forgive you of your sins because that was my work on the cross. But once the church is taken out of the way at that wonderful day of Christ that we've been studying in our um, teaching portion of our programs, once the day of Christ happens and the rapture takes place and the church is taken out of the way there are no longer any righteous people on the earth at that moment in time. They will be, there will be those who become righteous, but that's through a leading of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the 144,000 Jews that are mentioned in Revelation 7 and Revelation 14, the two witnesses that are mentioned in Revelation 11, and also the angel in heaven proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So people will come to faith during the tribulation, but it'll be very difficult. The key thing to understand is once the tribulation starts, that 70th week of Daniel, the seven years of tribulation, the Holy Spirit, if you will, reverts back to how he functioned in the Old Testament. And the evidence that we have for that is where we've been for the last um, few um programs in our Q&A portion, and that's been in Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. And that is the parable of the um, ten virgins. And one of the reasons that we've been spending several programs going over this is there are a number of churches and a number of preachers, uh, both TV and radio, as well as in the the churches themselves that preach that this is about the church, that this is about the rapture of the church. So we've been spending several programs going over the scriptures to show in context who is speaking to whom about what. Because remember, we've said this over and over again, the whole Bible, all 66 books, is for you, the believer but it's not all about you, the believer. Most of the Bible is about Israel. And those who say that it's all about the church have, I believe, sorely misinterpreted God's word and have basically violated the will of God. Israel is the wife of God. We've had so many scriptures to show that since we've been together in this teaching ministry, that his his primary focus has been Israel. It is currently the church because he is training Israel, if you will, during this time. He's basically turned his back partially on them during this 2,000-year period of the church. But once the church is taken out of the way, he's going to turn his full attention back to his wife, Israel, and he's going to once again Reoffer the kingdom that was offered first time by Jesus 2,000 years ago. It's going to be reoffered to them as he reintroduces the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, under the church, we've been under the gospel of grace, but now it's going to turn back to the gospel of the kingdom. And he is basically, Jesus is basically explaining all of this to the apostles, the handful of that inner circle of apostles that are sitting with him on the Mount of Olives at the beginning of Matthew 24. And he's answering their questions. When is, what are the signs of the end? And what's this, what's going to, what's going to happen? And he says, glad you asked, I'll tell you. So he bakes, he basically takes all of Matthew 24 and all of Matthew 25 to explain what has been called the gospel, uh, the, the Olivet discourse, the Olivet discourse, Olivet meaning olive because they're sitting on the Mount of Olives. And he goes through a description of the tribulation, the first part, the middle part, the last part. And then he says, because of everything I've just told you, my admonition to you, Israel is to be ready And he's talking about being ready during the tribulation period. During the tribulation period. All of this is talking about the tribulation. It has nothing to do with the church. There's nothing in here that if properly interpreted through the scripture applies to the church. Words like elect, for instance. That is what Israel was referred to in the Old Testament and the believing aspect of Israel in the tribulation is also referred to as the elect. Yes, the church is, but we have to understand the use of the term elect in context. And in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, which is one talk of the five talks that are in Matthew, this is one of them. And we know that because they ask him the questions in Matthew chapter 1, 2, 3, or Matthew 24 verses one two three, and he wraps it up in Matthew 26 verse one, saying, "I've concluded the talk." So Matthew 25 is included with Matthew 24, and once he can fi- he finishes talking about the tribulation period, he then gives those eight parables we've been talking about, and those eight parables are. Um, all about being ready. And that sixth parable, the, the, the uh, 10 virgins, is what we've been focusing on. And we will try and wrap that particular aspect of it up in our next um, Q&A portion. Uh, so remember, if I don't talk to you again, I'll be seeing you in the air.
0: Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.